Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. I have only taken down one long line in the game, and one of the Goyaks that we're going to play. I don't anticipate being good enough to pull the ascend move on a rock. I don't know. You let it go at the right moment? Is it a timing thing? I, I think when you just activate your your arm ability, it I think Link automatically lets go of the rock. And since you Cause you're holding ability, it. Oh, because you would be holding it above your head. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So my, my dad and I turned on the TV one time and we saw a hunting show. Mm-hmm. And this guy was driving in like this Jeep up to the animals and he was fight like shooting from the car we were like that's not sport like you're supposed to track them you're supposed to like you know it's bad enough you have a gun and not a bow if you're really going for the experience of like hunting hunting you know and we're get we're like look at this lazy jerk what's this guy do and we go on and on and on and on and then they pan out and the guy's in a wheelchair <laughs> oh so when when you're talking about like you know like snazzy lionel hunting techniques and i'm like that's not very sporting that's like that's like hunting from your car oh no the shame the shame, shame. <laughs> oh john has twitter taught you nothing check your assumptions this happened before social media so i can be free to oh. wait i've just said it out loud oh uh, no i'm gonna be canceled well, thanks, everybody, for joining <laughs> us on the last episode of the Superhuman Registration Podcast in which John gets canceled. I feel like we got to commemorate our... Uh, this is at least the 10th last episode of the Superhuman Registration <laughs> Podcast because John got canceled. I, I'm not right? the only one who gets canceled. I mean, it had, it, I mean, we pass the hat every now and again, right? Like, come on. I think I've, I think I've said something cancelable once. Meanwhile, everything I have said has been immaculate, perfect... 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if I, if I weren't so lazy, I'd go back and re-listen, and I'd get you. <laughs> Would you re-listen to our 120-something episodes? Wow. Not a chance, no, no. None of us are counting still. <laughs> Actually, how many are we? This is our 128th, like, actual podcast episode. That's, like, not counting, I think we have, like, an, like, an anniversary episode. We have several of the fill-ins. The back issues. Yeah. Are we counting those awful Marvel zombie Halloween episodes? Of course, Absolutely. Uh. If we had analytics, I would suspect those would be the best. (laughs) (laughs) You generate the most discussion, I'd say. Yeah. I think those are some of the most, uh, like, conversationally, like, divisive, because I, not, I don't know, divisive, maybe a little controversial in the sense that, like, we hate those books pretty pretty equivocally across the board. We we do not like those books, but it seems that in all of those we tend to find something that's really good in them. And then we have to discuss with John why that's still good, even though it's in a Marvel Zombies book. <laughs> discuss is a funny way of saying persuade. Yeah. <laughs> it's that it's that Seinfeld moment where George sees like a a, a mostly unvar- untarnished eclair at the top of the trash can and eats oh, it no. anyway. <laughs> that's like us. <laughs> Picking through t- the garbage of Marvel <laughs> zombies to be like, well, you know, the art's not that bad. It was on top. It was on top. It was, it was top. above the lid. <laughs> I recently read uh, DC versus Vampires. Yeah, because uh, I've been I've been doing a a kind of deep dive through James Tynion's runs on DC Comics. 
And yeah, he wrote a, a whole story about the the DC comic superheroes becoming vampires. It gives very strong Marvel Zombies vibes. Not quite as gross. A lot of really good character work. Uh, not recommended, probably. No. Yeah. I I do want to read the Deceased, which was like oh, their gosh. Marvel Zombies thing. Because that one actually had like zombies, I believe. Zombies are much less sexy than vampires, so I can see vampires on the whole being better, but still kind of horror gross. Like, yeah. What I think is one of the best superhero zombie books is probably still Blackest Night. Never read it. That's uh, Green Lantern, but it's like the Black Lanterns. Yeah, yeah. That was like the big culmination of Jeff Johns' uh, kind of entire Green Lantern run. Like, that's what he led all the. Like, he established the. The Lantern color spectrum stuff for that. He also rebooted. He gave Hal Jordan like a new origin. Like that was like 10 years of comics writing to lead up to that moment. Or like that specific event. And I think it's a pretty good event. It's been a while since I've read it. So I guess great assault. But I remember that just being like a very good novel way of doing zombies. Especially because the Black Lantern rings weren't just attaching themselves to heroes who were dead at the time, but also attaching themselves to anybody who had died before and turning them into, like, lantern zombies. And that's how Uncle Ben came back from the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give him ideas. It'll happen. It has. A couple times. (laughs) Yeah. But let's talk about something novel, sort of, I guess. Let's talk about... Do we want to... Do you want to talk about Jeff the Landshark? Please. It's Jeff. It's Jeff. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We are here to talk about the comics that are kind of under the Marvel Comics heading because they're all the ones that we can access on the subscription service that we all got. My name is Steven. I've got John and Aldo with me this evening. Fellas, you doing okay? It's Jeff. It's Jeff. It's Jeff. <laughs> you guys didn't sing it every time? Not me either. I did. Me no, either. I did. Okay. I definitely did. <laughs> Ooh, it's yeah. Jeff. Yeah, like one of those like <laughs> timey cartoons. Uh-huh. Uh, I think specifically I was going for the, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Animal Man shorts on like YouTube. Oh yeah. Like didn't Weird Al voice Animal Man? Am I misremembering that? I think you're mis. He doesn't talk a whole lot in those. I don't think that was him. At least not in those shorts. I'm going to look it up. Because in the shorts they would do Animal Man. So like that's kind of the same thing I was going for was like, it's Jeff. Also really funny. So super quick tangent. Uh, one of my best friends is named Jeff and he hates that his name is a meme. <laughs> when the 22 Jump Street movie came out, he hated that because of the My Name is Jeff line from it. And kind of the big punchline in our relationship was that when I moved to Portland, I moved in with a roommate who had adopted a cat whose name was Jeff. <laughs> so I would constantly send him videos and pictures of Cat Jeff and just being like, <laughs> You should have called your friend Human Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. That's what a comedian did. who's like who had that situation where the cat had the same name as somebody on like the fringe of their friend group, and that he really hated it that he was like Human Jeff as opposed to the cat who was just <laughs> yeah, Jeff, just Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> Stephen, you might be remembering Weird Al Yankovic uh, playing the probili- probabilitator, probabilitor. Excuse me, hold up. Check the Discord. <laughs> In Gravity Falls. I found it. <laughs> yes, he Let's has see. sources. Okay, you have sources. I have okay. sources. I did not realize yeah. it was him, but that makes sense. DC Nation, the DC Nation shorts were quite honestly some of the best stuff that DC has ever done, and it's a pity. They were delightful. 
They were absolutely yeah, they were so good. Amethyst Princess of Gem World. That one I like. I've I've read a bunch of Amethyst comics now. None of them are as good as those shorts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, the Animal Man ones. Man, ah, you remember when cartoons were good? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. They're still good. There's still some good ones. You just gotta. There gotta, are still some good ones. You gotta look a little harder. You know. I'm I'm a dad. I am aware of Bluey. Okay. <laughs> but I had the realization that my children have no concept of, you know, how we'd have to wait for our cartoons to come on at a certain time and channel. That yeah. that concept has been dead for, like, you know, 10 plus years now. You mm-hmm. just oh, turn yeah. it on and, and find the thing you need. And I'm like, I, I think I need to make them watch a VHS sometime and rewind a VHS <laughs> tape just to understand. Like, look, look, I hate people who are like, back in my day, we had to blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's like, turn on the next episode. It's like, hey, 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 calm down. There's a three-second timer. <laughs> I, think, like, I think you just need to mimic the TV experience and only play them one episode at 7 p.m. and pause it every 15 minutes. <laughs> Oh, wow. And make them wait till next week and only play reruns. I love before that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, that's maybe that's how I'll tackle it. Yeah, that's a great meme or tweet where it's you know people today don't have the the thrill of hearing it's on or it's back from commercial from the other room <laughs> yeah. and leaping over the sofa and not miss a moment. I I miss waking up. Like, to go to school and, like, catching the last 10 minutes of, like, whatever Adult Swim anime was going on. Mm-hmm. Like, Wolf's Rain <laughs> or Inuyasha. And you just hop in for, oh, like... A, Inuyasha. You just hop in for, like, <laughs> the end of the episode and the end credit song. And you're like, okay, well, Pokemon's on now. I have Wolf's Rain on DVD. I never watched it. I watched a few episodes. And by few episodes, I mean the latter half of a few episodes. I'm beginning to realize that... Some of the shows that I watched a lot, or ones that I got up early to watch or watched immediately after school, um, it, there's no real, like, it's it lives in my head somewhere, but it's completely wasted. Like, I used to get up early to watch Inspector Gadget when I was seven. That's not really a thing anymore, because the movies were so terrible. Maybe they'll, re- they'll like, reboot it in another generation or so. Um, did you know there was a Beetlejuice cartoon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think anyone else did, because I used to watch that every day and loved it. The one that baffles me was there was that Robocop cartoon. Oh, man. Yeah. Because, you know, what we should totally be pitching to children is toys based on a rated R film from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there were ter- Terminator toys I remember being huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when uh, T2 came out. T2 was an enormous blockbuster. So T2 gave me nightmares as a kid. You know what won't give me nightmares is Jeff the Shark. No, he's yeah. so cuddly, full of teeth, but yet cuddly. I have a suspicion that we are going to be extra bantery today. A little bit, I think I so. I mean, there's, it's just so clean, so fresh, and so clean, clean. Ain't nobody dope as Jeff. <laughs> there's the title of the episode. <laughs> so where does Jeff come from? So Jeff the Shark was created... In the West Coast Avengers comic around 2019. That was a comic featuring like Kate Bishop, Quentin Quire, and Gwenpool, and a few other characters. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that group. Yes, and this is relevant because Jeff the Shark 
lives, was adopted by Gwenpool. He's lived with a couple of people, as is kind of evident in the book. But Jeff was adopted by Gwenpool when she was in the West Coast Avengers. Also, quick aside, this happens in that book when Jeff the Shark is introduced. She's dating Quentin Quire at the moment, at the time. No. Yep. <sighs> My disappointment is more about somebody dating Quentin Quire than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so he was created by Brodock. What? When Brodock uh... made a bunch of land sharks that attacked Santa Monica, hence the West Coast Avengers. What's Brodock? An alias of Modoc. Yeah, so, yes. So it's Modoc, but he has moved to L.A. and wants to attract women, so he's created himself a an attractive muscular body, and Brodoc stands for biorobotic organism designed overwhelmingly for kissing. Oh my gosh. I hate that a lot. Yeah, so uh, none of the West Coast Avengers women likes him. So he decides to get his revenge, and that somehow involves creating land sharks. <laughs> Comics are weird, you guys. So, yeah, so that's kind of where Jeff the Shark comes from. He's been passed along a couple of people. He was adopted initially by Gwenpool, so he was appearing in quite a few of the Gwenpool comics around the West Coast Avengers stuff. He was then taken care of by Elsa Bloodstone because, and I kid you not because this is marvel comics and this is a deadpool-ish character gwen was concerned that her book wasn't selling well enough so she thought she wasn't gonna get more comics so she handed jeff off to elsa bloodstone so he could remain in a book in case wow. was canceled. <laughs> yeah and then after that he was with deadpool for like a little while and then has, I guess, just been floating around between, like, a few huh. of the girls, specifically Floating. Kate Bishop and, and Gwenpool. And wow. that's that's most of the history, but it's kind of a, it's kind of like X-Men history. <laughs> that was surprisingly more convoluted than I expected. Um, but, I mean, we need to read more Gwenpool, I think. I think so. Also, we need to earmark that West Coast Avengers run for future, because I forgot when it came out, I was really curious about it and then never got around to reading it. But. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of forgot the whole thing happened. I remembered her, I remembered Gwenpool having like two or three individual runs, and at some point, I think she holds some sort of battle royale tournament on an island or something. I think that was a thing that happened, because the Hulk gets mentioned a little bit in Jeff's history. Not that he fought the Hulk, but that he saw Gwenpool fight the Hulk from Jeff a didn't fight box. the Hulk. Jeff stopped the Hulk from stomping on that ant. Correct. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a, that's pretty much it. And as you know, I think we mentioned at the end of the last episode, we read all twenty four individual unlimited issues of or infinite comics issues of it's Jeff the Jeff comic, and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. A lot of these are kind of like slice of life little brief moments into Jeff the Shark just having a good time, just trying to have a good time. He was created by Kelly Thompson, and I think I did not look up who the artists were for the Infinity Comics. I have it right here. It's Guri Hiru. Right. I'm a, I'm a dum-dum. The creator, the creator was Daniel DiNicolo. Yeah, because I think he was the artist um, on the West Coast. Yeah, Avengers. yeah. But yeah, Guri Hiru was for this run we read, the Infinity. Yes. That should have been really obvious, and I don't know why it wasn't. But yeah, Kelly Thompson <laughs> Kelly Thompson wrote 
all 24 issues, which feels a little weird to say she wrote when there's not a lot of dialogue happening, but you still write something. Imagine, though, like the the effort to pay off ratio when she says, now Kate Bishop is shaking her quiver in the background and Jeff's got just a big old mouthful of arrows in the foreground. Just and and do a little reference to the uh, Hawkeye comic in the hallway. Go for it. And and then you get this beautiful art where it just nails it. So, yeah, I'd love to see the script for this and how much of it was, you know, her saying, now make sure that this, this is, you know, how the, the tone I would really love just something real Stanley-ish and just being like, we see Jeff the Shark on Captain America's shield snowboarding with with an amount of happiness on his face that is indescribable by words. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Do we want to do, quote, unquote, a story summary of what happens here? or I don't know. It doesn't really seem worth it, right? Right. So it's just not- little non sequiturs and little moment, funny moments. Um, he, of course, jumps into a pool, scares all of the Avengers out of the pool because he's a shark. <laughs> he gets a inflatable dolphin costume so he can swim at the beach without scaring anyone. He goes through a field of tulips because he's in Holland for some reason. The image of uh, a shark fin co- going through a field full of tulips is hilarious. He gets a cone of shame that's transparent, and they fill it with water and goldfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes costume shopping, and he <laughs> keeps showing his teeth, so he keeps ruining all the costumes until they dress him up like a shark. Oh my gosh, I just I took a screen grab of the image of him in the, the unicorn costume. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's maybe the best one, because it's like one of those, I'm going to try to describe it. Uh, so, you know, you are listening to an audio podcast about a visual medium. Keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> this little cute four-legged shark is wearing this horse costume, and it's like a, a horse costume for a human in that there's like a horse's head that is almost like a hat on top of his own head. And everybody says, oh, it's so cute. And then he like stands up and he bears his teeth, and it's like this horse rears its head back and its abdomen opens up to reveal this gaping, jagged maw of doom. And it's very funny. Um, Gosh. One of my favorite movies of all time is Jaws. And today, the first text I read when I woke up this morning was my sister, who's on East Coast time, telling me there's a Jaws musical, apparently, that's come to Broadway from the West End, which I think it's a musical about the making of Jaws, and because everything went wrong, and that actually ended up making the movie better, because they had to spend time on everything but the shark, so that the reveal was pushed back further and further, so the suspense got better and better. So it's been a very shark-heavy day today with all of that going on. Um, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I, part of me wants to be cynical and be like, we don't need like a little weird mascot floating around and being weird and goofy. And it could be bad like that dupe comic we read. Um, but this was delightful. I think all of the things that you want in a traditional comic strip like you, you know, they used to have in the, in the newspaper, you know, it, hits all those beats really well. You know, there's no fat on this. It's just really plain and straightforward storytelling. It's really well done and, mm-hmm. you know, gorgeous art. And even if it's not like some of these are really, really funny. Some of them are like, yeah, okay. All right. He's in, mm-hmm. he's in the washer and he's just having a good, you know, ride in the washer. But <laughs> I don't know. This was delightful. Yeah. There's some stories. I mean, do we want to talk about some of our, some of our like favorite stories? In oh yeah. yeah yeah okay might as well so one of my favorite stories in this is pretty 
it's I think it's the last one, which is I think is the only real like continuing story because it takes up the last two issues. There were a couple of two-parters. There was that one, and there was the one where he fights the ant. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and the, the one ant. where he's trying to track down mm-hmm. who makes his merch, and it turns out that it's MODOK, and it turns out MODOK mm-hmm. actually likes him. And yeah. now we know why. There were three two-parters. I forgot right. about that one. Yeah, don't forget the greatest villainy somebody can commit is copyright infringement. but yeah no it's that last issue the last couple of issues that last story where he finds a bunch of animals in a pet shop i don't right it was just a pet shop it wasn't like anything it was just a pet shop yeah yeah Yeah. so it's a pet shop and he wants them to free the the animals they don't listen to him so he gets a bunch of other animal like adventure related animals i'm guessing some of those some of those were just a raptor which i'm guessing might be that's old lace from the Runaways, correct? Yeah. Who can name them all? I can. I will not even try. But my favorite appear, my favorite appearance there. Hold on, don't don't ruin it for me. It's <laughs> Alligator Loki comes back. That that is yes, hands down the best one. I I personally was like, oh look, old lace, but then quickly overshadowed by Pizza Dog and Alligator Loki. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, John. Name them off. So Squirrel Girls, Squirrel Sidekick. Now that I've said that, I forget the squir- I forget all the exact names. Oh no! It's Squirrel Tippy girls. Toe. What? Tippy toe. Tippy toe. Oh. Then there is the Flurkin Goose. There's Pizza Dog and Kitty Pride's um, pet dragon Lockheed and Old Lace and Alligator Loki. Is someone going to be able to explain Alligator Loki to me, or is it just from the Loki series? Is that it? Yeah. It's just. There's, you know, a multiverse of of Lokis, and in one of them, um, Loki is an alligator, which I think nails the character. <laughs> the best is when they meet up, everyone's giving deference to the kid Loki, because he's the only Loki in their group that killed Thor. So they're all like, ooh, kid Loki, you're the boss now. So we all, yeah. among all Lokis, he's the winner. And they're talking about, like, their Nexus event, which, depending on what Marvel content you've consumed recently is the event in which their timeline splits off or they it's a non-canonical event if you've seen spider-man but i like that alligator loki's nexus event is that he ate the neighbor's cat (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) the last the last three episodes of loki i in my opinion are the best episodes of loki yeah they're wild Mm -hmm. i love the shot of old lace with pets rule the earth straight out of Jurassic Park. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, this had a lot of movie references, which it sure did. Not super surprising, but a delight. The first the first issue had Jeff in the pool in the same pose as the Nirvana uh yes. cover. Was that they yeah, okay, I was I was like, maybe I'm reading too much into this because he's just underwater, but it it's like No, the yeah. framing of it, the angle. Yeah. His yeah. his kind of pose on it, yeah, that was very much. I think it's Nevermind. I think it's the album. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Okay, I thought I agree with you. It could not be, but it feels like it should be. What are you guys' favorite stories in this? I think I really liked the the one where Kate buys Jeff the doghouse, <laughs> and Jeff takes all of this time to touch it up real nice and make it you know very comfortable and homey, and he invites Kate in to to like. 
have dinner with him at his house and so like Kate sticks her head in and then Jeff shoves her in the doghouse and draws a little picture of a hawk and an eye and pastes it over the top of the door <laughs> that used to say Jeff. It's like, no, this is Hawkeyes now. <laughs> Not having any of this. It's so funny. I also like the one where he goes down to the market to get fish and there's that straight cat in there and so he kind of scares that fi- that cat out of there. He's walking down the street real proud like with that fish in his mouth. And he looks into the alleyway. He sees that the cat is like a mother. She has a few kittens with her. And so he gives them the fish and then just gets to hang out and lay lay around with them. And that was really adorable. A big cuddle pile. Yeah. I really liked the, you know, the pet store two-parter. I liked the tracking down the merch two-parter. But it was fun to see the Avengers teams in this style. So where he steals a bit of everyone's equipment and there's a moment when they all approach Deadpool, assuming that of course he did it, but he just points him towards Jeff and Jeff has, you know, a Spider-Man mask on. He's wearing Falcon's wings and a, and a uh, black widows, um, widows bite, you know, stingers. And um, he's got the shield. He's got, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. I think Kate, Kate's a, or bows and burr, just her arrows, I guess. Really funny stuff. Um, I was a little, as funny as, you know, the Thanksgiving moment when he steals the turkey, it felt like there could have been something a bit more to that because he tries to get the turkey and Kate says no. He tries again, she says no. Then he just kind of goes, huh, and gets it anyway. There was, I felt like there was a step missing there. That's really my only complaint about any of these, you know. I think it would have been funny to have a shot of Kate lifting the... Uh, the cover while she's putting the turkey on the plate and you just get like a shot of like under the from the camera down like facing up and Jeff is like Mission Impossible style like hanging onto the cover waiting to be set down onto the turkey so he can eat it <laughs> there it is see that's what we're missing that exact like that missing just shot. his little limbs out <laughs> that'd be so good <laughs> Back in the Lindsay Ellis days, she talked about Mel Brooks, and in particular, I think it was uh, Blazing Saddles. She mentioned that the way Mel Brooks worked, and in particular in that movie, was to have so many jokes firing so quickly that if you one of the jokes doesn't land for you, don't worry, there's another one right behind it. And that's kind of the way that these sorts of gag strips read when you just sit down and read them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad, especially, you know, now that we're kind of, we're at the end, there have been two compilations of Jeff, and there's more Jeff coming uh, later this year, apparently. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's fun to sit down and just read these in a go, rather than, like, waiting week after week to to read them, because I think that would just get a little old after some time. But... You know, you'd read one, it's like, oh, well, whatever, and then you'd wait for it, and, you know. But, yeah, just sitting down and reading these in a, in a bunch, it's all really good. But that said, I don't think any joke landed for me as hard as the very first image of the very first comic at the pool party, where you get this kind of aerial shot of all of the superheroes hanging out at the pool, and there are enough details from everyone's costumes that you recognize everyone. Like, there are a couple of characters who I don't know who they are because I'm not as immersed in Marvel Comics as I used to be. But I can pull this up and I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, there's Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. Uh, There's Phoenix. She's even doing a Phoenix pose. There's Moon Girl riding on a devil dinosaur floaty. There's 
uh, Iron Fist and Misty Knight. And my favorite one is actually Kamala Khan, who's there in her burkini. It's just, ah, uh, the Guri Hiru team, they are so good. They are yeah. so good. And one of my favorite things about them is that they can put together a, like, they, they can create this image of all of these, you know, superheroes in their traditionally sexy costumes and it's not like you never feel like it's pandering you never feel like it's it's excessive it's only cute and i love it it's so great yeah i think they all do a really good job at group shots i think anytime that there's a scene you know and in the series there's like a few moments where it's like a big like avengers event for some reason like you know everybody went to the beach together and then also when they go like snowboarding or they're, they're up in the mountain, you also get a lot of shots of different heroes doing different activities. And I think like one of the ones that stood out for me was it was Wiccan and Hulkling were like on a two person toboggan <laughs> going down the mountain together. And I was like, oh, hey, look at that. Are they at the pool? I think they're at the pool party. They might be. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just well. like they're just like holding the beach ball, talking, laughing uh, next to Howard the Duck. Yeah. Very, very quickly, you know, you can just glance and be like, oh, that's who that is. That's who that is. I love it. This, it makes me mad looking at art that's this good because it looks very simple. It looks like, oh, that's just like such a straightforward drawing. Like that's, that couldn't have been hard to do when it's so hard to do because there's nothing wasted here. Everything is so neat and clean and, you know, the kind of watercolor feel to all the coloring makes it just, I don't know, kind of like a like a happy tone. Um, yeah, I was looking at Jeff in a, a a Gwenpool and Deadpool floaty with his snorkel and everything. It's just oh my gosh. Um, I think that they could have taken advantage of the Infinity format. This this type of story is this perfect. Yeah, this type of story is perfect for the Infinity format because I don't expect the same from it. Where I'm just kind of scrolling and getting a comic now. In a few places, like when you're seeing larger shots, like the pool from above, you know, where you get, you know, Storm is in a, a X-Men floaty, Miles Morales is on a big floating piece of pizza, and Rocket is floating on Groot, you know, you get more of the characters, and so, like, as you scroll, there's more to see, there's more to see. It's not just that you're, you know, only seeing part of the image, and then you have to scroll down to see the rest of it as much as it is. We're using this, you know, vertical scrolling format so that you're, you know, moving through the scene and it's just moving top to down rather than like a zoom out or whatever. I, I liked that. I think they could have done more of that. We didn't get a whole lot of it because most of this could be done in a traditional, you know, comic strip format. Like I said, like Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes or whatever. But in a few moments, it's, it really works. And I think. Because my standard for an Infinity comic is lower, the, you know, quick jokes and, you know, little to no else to this comic really worked for me. Which I think that's a little interesting to note because part of the reason why I suggested this, because It's Jeff was pretty recent and fresh in my memory. Because I saw a few weeks ago that there was going to be or there is a paperback collection or a trade paperback of these comics. And any time one of these like webtoon style comics gets printed to to a paperback, the traditional you know paperback format, I'm always really curious about that adaptation process. And I have never found a documentary or video 
about that process and it is so intriguing to me because how do you take something that is so very vertical and you move it over to something a little bit more traditional do you remember the dc comics virtual like they they released digital comics of batman like the batman 66 and they were designed to be read online and you had to like use the comics reader it was like the guided view almost in marvel unlimited except every time you would swipe it would not necessarily move the panel forward but would bring a new image in so there's like an image of the superheroes like looking up in the sky and you'd swipe and a biplane appears in the image and then you swipe again and the biplane moves a little bit further and there's like a little tail behind it that says the Riddler is posing you this question, but, you know, whatever. Uh, riddle me this. Why didn't I use the actual thing that they say? Anyway, it was almost like this pseudo animation. Kind of like, okay, I remember what it was. The Ghost Rider Christmas or Halloween comic that we read. It was a virtual comic with Robbie Ray as Ghost Rider. It was the first one that we ever read. Did the same sort of trick. And it does make me wonder like what is the point because a lot of the stuff that makes digital comics so unique winds up getting lost in print and if it can be translated to print what's the point of doing it digitally i don't know maybe that's just me being a bummer no 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 that's that's i mean that's the question i have right because i think a a lot of the point of the format isn't necessarily the format itself i think taking advantage of the format happens to be something you do you can I think it's closer to the distribution model because a lot of these happened because I think in like Asia countries like South Korea and Japan, being on your phone was a lot more popular. So selling comics became more of a challenge when people don't want to carry around books, right? You know, in Japan, Shonen Jump is really popular, but that's a big, that's a big like yellow pages sized book of single chapters of like 30 different series. If you're only reading one or two series, you don't want to carry around that big old book, right? You don't want to spend the money on 25 other series that you don't care about. So, like, how do you distribute that? You know, you do it on phones. Phone screens are really small. So we create this new format for it. But then, like you said, is, you know, people start taking advantage of that format, start really doing, start doing some really creative stuff. I think we saw some pretty good stuff in this one, kind of as opposed to Project Gelsimium, which I think was also an Infinity comic. Yeah, which yes. that one did not feel like it took advantage of the medium all that much. I mean, they did a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, not as much as this one. I think. I think this one reads supremely well, you know, in the scrolling format. To take something in this scrollable format and port it over to a more traditional format, you lose something. And my question is, and this is part of the reason why I want to buy that paperback because I am curious of what you lose in that process, and maybe at the same time, what do you gain? what was restricted in that scrolling format that you can now take advantage and how much of that happens in that process. Like just say, okay, well, we're just going to expand these images horizontally. So they fit. Or do you say like, no, we move around the panels and we create some new effects essentially as, as we move on. Right. Cause I think in traditional format suspense works a lot better that, mm-hmm. that pushing of the page and like having that whole thing kind of waiting for you. Whereas in scrolling, it works as well, but because of the nature of scrolling, the image is revealed to you like bit by bit, and you can lose some of the surprise in that moment. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Almost every time I read comics on my 
tablet, I'm reminded at how much the big picture really makes a difference. And I think the great success of Jeff is that it actually reads really well on the phone. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's so clean. It's so sharp. It's so readable. The images fit. They, they could be phone wallpapers. It was designed mm-hmm. for the small screen in a way that everything else we read isn't. And I do most of my reading on my phone because I'm a lazy butt. <laughs> <laughs> However. I used the podcast to justify buying an iPad. So I could read comics. Oh, there you go. On my yeah, it's a need. If we made yeah. any money off of it, that would be a business expense. <laughs> <laughs> Send your receipt to Chuck Spritely, and uh... <laughs> I think one of the jokes, kind of talking about more specifics. I think one of the jokes that I think probably won't land as well in traditional format is the costume sequence when he's trying oh, yeah. on the costumes, right? Because you're scrolling and you're seeing each one of the costumes. By itself, and then it's that kind of back and forth shot where you see him in the costume, you see the girls reacting to the initial costume, and then you see him with the teeth, and then and then their reaction, right? And then as that joke continues, you kind of cut out some of the I don't know, I don't want to say waste, but you kind of you don't need to set that joke up all the time, right? So like as you're scrolling through, it just becomes the teeth shot and the girls, the teeth shot and the girls, right? That's interesting because that makes me think of the structure of like a newspaper comic where you have three panels where you've got beginning, middle, end, setup, follow through, and punchline. I don't know the exact terminology, but yeah, certainly there's a uh, structure to the phone comic or a freedom to the phone comic that lets you kind of set your own structure that might get lost if it's translated to the printed page. Yeah, so that adaptation would really be interesting. Yeah, plus, you know, I would like to have Jeff in a physical format so that I don't lose the comic if Marvel ever decides to die for some reason. <laughs> oh, God. See, I thought you meant, like, a Jeff plushie or something. That, too, I would love a Jeff I, plushie. Yes, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't think Jeff would want me to have a plushie, you know? <laughs> That's a fine uh, line. He just has to see how much you love that plushie. That would work. He would not deprive you of the happiness that he gives you. <laughs> I also want to say for a character that is just kind of an animal and doesn't say anything, Jeff has a surprising amount of personality in this. Right? Yeah. And it's established pretty quickly and early on. And I think Kelly Thompson and Gurihiro did an amazing job at establishing that, right? Because what do we know about Jeff, about Jeff's personality in specific in these 24 issues, right? Like we know that he cares. He is Garfield the cat. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) He's more puppy than cat. He is a puppy. He is he's a very good boy. It's Garfield's famous catchphrase, boy, do I hate Modox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we know about Jeff is that like he's kind, right? Like he cares about other people. And even if it's a little sad for him that he doesn't get to be a shark, he is aware of like who he is and he costumes himself up to make people more comfortable around him, right? We know that he does not like copyright infringement unless it is done out of the pureness of somebody's heart. <laughs> <laughs> we know that he is willing to give up like his food and his enjoyment to help somebody else who needs it with the exclusion of Turkey. <laughs> yeah. Well, Turkey, I mean, come on, what are you going to do? 
and we and we know that like he has kind of aspirations and like he likes seeing the other heroes and he emulates them he wants to be a hero himself like we know a lot about jeff who says not a single word we had no insight like into his thought process because we don't get like the the stuff that we got from pizza dog we don't get the garfield thought bubbles we don't get any of that and we get like a really good characterization of jeff to the point where i think if another writer wrote jeff as kind of being mean it would feel dishonest to the character because he's actually pretty well established. I mean, but he does have a mischievous streak to him. Does yes. have a little bit of selfishness. Again, I'm thinking about him shoving Kate into the doghouse. And <laughs> he is a very stereotypical sort of newspaper comics mascot character. Very similar to Snoopy, very similar to Garfield. Very grounded in the Marvel Universe, though, which is the thing that makes him distinct. And... Like these strips were just a lot of fun, but they were they yeah it, it felt honestly and I I kind of set this up when we were introducing this topic at the end of last episode very reminiscent in a good way of newspaper gag strips which are a huge part of my childhood you know I'm one of the kids who grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes and charlie brown which was still going on and for a time i kind of tried to fashion myself into a amateur historian of newspaper comics i'm nowhere near as knowledgeable on that topic as i would like to be but the whole whole field is fascinating and now it's really basically dead here i would argue here in the west it's pretty much dead. fair fair american newspaper comics in japanese comics the format for it rather than being three is four but they're called four coma comics, which are the you know the oh, four yes. squares. Yeah, I've read some manga, manga Dayo. Yeah, I was about to say that. I was a manga Dayo, Yotsuba. Uh, Yotsuba's not a four square. It's not a four coma though. It's not. I'm staring at all fifteen volumes of Yotsuba. You're right. It's not right. It's just that one's just kind of a slice of life. It feels like it should be, but I guess it's not. But a lot of those comics still like live on in kind of Japanese manga in a way that they kind of died out here, which is kind of funny. Well, I thought I thought the equivalent of manga was uh, like our comic books here. Yeah, but like the four coma comics are closer to like comic books to like newspaper like strips. strips, and those are still like right. in print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're still pretty popular. A lot of comics, and are they just sold as like collections? Because uh, mm-hmm. I would imagine that like newspapers are dead everywhere in a physical format. Not in Japan. Japan's very old school. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, they still live on over there in kind of physical form. And basically, the way that they're set up is like on each page you have two vertical strips, and each one of those vertical strips is like the one comic by itself. So it has like the four, the four squares, and like that's the strip. And so when you have a the page open, you have four of those strips in front of you, just kind of each one of them individually. But those are those are still po- like that format is still pretty popular over there. Not as popular as it was maybe 15, 20 years ago, but they're still pretty common. Ah, boy. I love funny strips. Yeah. No, they're good stuff. Yeah, and I like, I think the humor in this one was also pretty, pretty consistent. I mean, you talked about it a little bit, right? Not every joke is a winner, and I think some of the strongest jokes are kind of in the beginning. But there's, I think a lot of the the stuff that maybe isn't as funny is probably leans a little bit more into the, that's delightful camp. (laughs) Like, I wasn't too fond of the... The giant ant arc, which was just what two comics, but there is something funny about the Hulk having to insert a giant syringe into a giant ant and shark. Okay, I didn't like. I don't know that I loved the giant ant arc, but it ends with Jeff 
putting the giant ant after it's been shrunk back down back with its other ants in the ant farm that he broke. So that ruled. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's where that one won me over because at first I was like, well, he wrecked the whole building. And there's this like but then you he know, put it back. Ant, but then yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that, right? Because he breaks the building in half, so he has to like put it back up there. <laughs> but the logic the logic of well, it says no people. Land sharks aren't people, so here I go. And he just starts knocking over chemicals and screwing around. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that one. Never mind. I retract my objection. <laughs> Withdrawn. <laughs> I think at least for me, part of the unfortunate thing is because there were so many of these stories and because most of these are a single issue. I feel like even at the end, having read this only a couple of days ago, kind of in a single binge, which is probably a bad idea. I feel like I've forgotten (laughs) most of the stories and like the ones that have like stuck around are, you know, they're probably my favorite ones out of the whole thing. But like, I feel like I forgot more than I retained. But I think this is an opportunity to, like, Marie Kondo your memories, right? These... That's how I handle trauma. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> this memory does not bring me joy. Repress it and toss it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Tom Cardi song about repression. It's very funny. <laughs> anyway, I don't think that these stories were designed to be all-timers, right? This isn't no normal. This isn't if this be my destiny. This isn't... Secret Wars or any of the other books that we have, you know, near the top of our list. Because these stories are not meant to be here for a long time. They're just here for a good time, you know? I think that's fair. It sounds a little flippant when I say it like that. But the point here, not... These are cupcake stories. Not every story has to be a bran muffin. I know I've, I've shared that on the podcast before. I had an English teacher who said some stories are bran muffins and some stories are cupcakes. And sometimes you need a cupcake and sometimes you need a bran muffin. Brand muffins are good. They are healthy for you. Long term, they're going to make you feel, you know, better. They're going to make you stronger. It's okay to have a cupcake. And these ones are cupcakes. They're with you for a little bit. Then they're gone. And that's cool. Just say thank you for the experience. (laughs) And you're good. I was just going to say, I also just remembered the issue where Jeff eats a bunch of fireflies and everybody gets disappointed because the fireflies are gone. And then he burps them all out. (laughs) (laughs) This comic has everything. Indeed it does. Uh, Should we rank this comic? I was going to say the only thing missing from it was a a fart joke. Give it time. (laughs) Yeah, we have season three. Yeah, I, I don't think I mentioned that. I don't think we've really mentioned that a whole lot, right? This we ac- I don't know accidentally, but we read two seasons. I guess that's what they're calling them. We read two seasons of this comic. Each season is twelve chapters, and so we read all twenty four. So we read the first two, maybe trades. I'll call them. Seasons. There's still less reading, even if like you know. I mean, there's like you know ten words total in all of these. <laughs> you know, even counting like the name of the store as he walks in. <laughs> still less than one like made 80s claremont book like one page <laughs> yeah there's the mid 80s chris claremont book has more writing than in these 24 jeff comics or one bendis table scene one bendis table scene yes <laughs> yes one expository word bubble um you know from tony stark has more letters and punctuation than this entire comic used so or one one reed richards justification for being a terrible husband 
<laughs> Let's rank this. No wonder Sue vanishes. <laughs> Currently on our list, <laughs> we have 247 stories. Boy, I'm trying to think of what to compare this to. My first thought, because it is actually quite similar to A-Babies versus X-Babies, mm. which originally started quite high on our list. And it's very similar. It's sort of this fun art. Ge- oh, yeah. It's very similar in the sense that Guri Hiru also did the art. Oh, yeah. In my head, A-Babies versus X-Babies was a Scotty Young book. And it is, but he wrote it. He didn't draw it. He yeah. did the covers. He might have done the co- Yeah, the covers. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it still kind of holds a bit of that style more than like this goes off in its own. Like this is clearly a Guru Hero book, but I think that's a fair comparison. Where did that drop to? Because now I can't find it. Yeah, it's currently at number 95. It's oh, significantly low. lower. Than, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It kind of like this good time, not a long time, right? Yeah. The highest ranking Guru Hero story we currently have on our list is number 75, which is, I believe, the first Gwenpool story. And the highest Kelly Thompson story we have is actually kind of in that same area. I think Purple Daughter at number 76 is the highest ranking Kelly Thompson. I don't see anything higher on the list. Man, talk about range. (laughs) Like, tonally, Purple Daughter is so far from Jeff. Right? Right? That's that's impressive. I know... I know in popular media, we talk a lot about actor's range, but I don't think writer range gets brought up a lot. Although I will say, Kelly Thompson's writing, even in Purple Daughter, maintains the same sort of whimsy that we see in Jeff. The subject matter is is different, but there are still the gags, because you remember, if, if I'm remembering correctly, Purple Daughter also has Jessica Jones and Emma Frost, like, being super catty at each other. Jessica calls Emma, you know terrible names for the way she dresses and etc but like it's done in this very sort of you know cutesy style i think for i i agree with the comments about range but at the same time kelly thompson has a style yeah that is identifiably hers at least from these stories that we've read mm-hmm. and don't forget when jessica jones had to let off steam and she went and hung out with elsa bloodstone and they beat up monsters for like a half hour <laughs> don't we all wish we could do that I sure wish I could hang out with Elsa Bloodstone. For different reasons. <laughs> I want to put this higher, but I I don't know. I, I It might belong with all the ones we've mentioned so far. It's fun. It's charming. It's lighthearted and wholesome in a way that I, I think is often looked down upon. And I got to be careful with the use of wholesome. I think most people, this is this is something my sister-in-law likes to say, and it stuck with me. A lot of people use the word wholesome when what they really mean is inoffensive. Mm. And it is inoffensive. Like, if you read, I can't imagine anybody trying to get Jeff the Landshark banned from Utah public schools. <laughs> Boy, do I have opinions about local politics. Anyway, but Jeff the Landshark is... I don't know that it makes you a better person, but it certainly makes you a happier one for at least a little bit. And... I think the the degree, the quality that goes into it does bump it up higher than that, but I, I don't think I can go much higher. I'm trying to decide where my ceiling is. I I think it's Purple Daughter. You really think Purple Daughter is, is better? Well, it's it's degree of difficulty, right? Like if these if these books were gymnasts mm. and they were performing more difficult 
flips and uh, feats on the mat, um, you know, it's like a weighted thing. So if you're trying a trickier uh, move, then, you know, you, your, you know, four would count as a five in a, in an easier bracket, right? I am all up in this, this metaphor in the wrong way, but <laughs> <laughs> like that's a more serious subject matter. Um, more importantly, like, um, uh, that's, you know, as high as Kelly Thompson is on our list. Mostly I'm looking too below that where Kang dynasty is. And I just really, really like that one. So that area seems like a good ceiling. There are books above it that I liked less than Jeff, but it's, it's a complete, this is a strip, you know, this is doing very well, but it's, you know, a Simpsons Halloween episode. It's joke after joke after joke, as opposed to, okay, we have to maintain a plot for 22 minutes. It's, you know, those are, Hey, we only have, you know, six minutes and we can very quickly set up. Okay. We're in the car going somewhere. And then it's just joke, 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 joke. Jeff's in a pool. Oh no. He scared everyone. Jeff's in the washer. Oh, look, he loves it. Jeff found a kitty. Now they're coming. You know, it's not as, as difficult, you know, yeah, 24 of these. Sure. But I, I don't think it's as difficult. So maybe there's a, there's a ceiling as far as. You know, categorically, this is a different type of story, so it can't be ranked as high because, yeah, it's it's delightful and charming and, and you know, makes your day better. But also, you know, he's a cute little shark. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, it is a cute little shark. Shark. Oh, my shark. gosh. Anyway, <laughs> I joke because I so I, I lived in the Czech Republic for a couple of years on a church mission and the most difficult work word for me to say in Czech was the word shark, which in Czech is žralok, and I still struggle with it. And I just pictured myself like walking down the street practicing this word. It's got a zh sound followed by a trilled r. Žralok, žralok, žralok. And I was like, imagine walking down the street in the United States, walking behind someone, and they are just whispering under their breath to themselves, chark. Charts. Chart. <laughs> that would scare people. They'd be like, what are you doing? Are you sneaking up on me? You should have put one hand above your head and been like, shark, shark, shark. Seems like you had a problem with the... Hold on. This is going to be hard. Seems like you had a problem <laughs> with the Czech church shark shark. Dang it. <laughs> Wait, do it. Do it. Let him do it. We can edit all this crap out. No, that's that's it. That's the thing. <laughs> Shark. <laughs> um, if you'd like, if you'd like, Stephen, I can give you an easier alternative. In Russian, it's just akula. Akula matata. <laughs> and I learned, I learned that word first from like a submarine game because that's what the Russian sub was called was the akula. It's like, ooh, it's a shark. It's a submarine. Ooh. So easier than putting a je in front of a trilled r. Or you could go to the Spanish route and just call it a tiburon, which was also a Hyundai car. That's where I know that name. I was like, that seems like, isn't that the name of a steak? Tiburon. You don't even that's have to roll the R. You, can, you should, but you don't have You to. should. No, no, no. should. It's it's cooler. Tiburon. Like Ricardo Moltaban. Oh, Carne. Yes. Welcome to the <laughs> island. <laughs> Kirk. <laughs> Did he roll the R with Kirk? Although I think you're the only one who hasn't really weighed in yet. Oh, uh, see, I want to I wanna aim a little higher, mostly because it was a delightful read. It was, you know, it is disposable. It's not like a super long-lasting book. And I did mention that I forgot 
more than I remembered. But I also do want to point out that a lot of the storytelling stuff, specifically from Guri Hero, right, because it's a 99% visual book, is top of the game stuff, right? Like, they convey mm-hmm. a lot. And That's I, fair. You know, I went on my little speech about how much of Jeff's personality established sorely through visual storytelling and i think that's something really difficult to do and maintain it for like as long as they have but i also realize that i am also just absolutely in love with this tiny little shark and i have a huge bias towards him now so i don't i don't know which one of you was ranking it higher but that's who i would lean towards haha you thought it was john but it was me dio (laughs) by higher i mean the lower number because ranking is weird oh wait that was john (laughs) <laughs> i'm fine with ranking it higher that's okay i don't know i like because i think my ceiling is not so much higher than where we're currently at like i'm not sure it's a fight worth fighting right the only i guess the only thing that i would say is i do like this better than a babies versus x babies which yeah i guess we're actually way above that hold on yeah let's okay let's do it let's put it between craven's last hunt and purple daughter oh uh, what number is that <laughs> That would be number 77, which actually makes 100% sense because Craven's Last Hunt is a good story that is also a huge bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this <laughs> we should have this be the bummer line. Like, you know, it's like if it's a happy book, like it can go above here. But if it's a real bummer, it isn't going to go higher than Craven's Last Hunt, no matter how good. It no, is. I think our real line for bummers might be truth, red, white and black. <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah, that's a bigger bummer. That was real. It's also higher up on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Considering that two thirds of the podcast will deals from the from the white guilt. Wait, did I say podcast or did I say podcast cast? Because I meant the latter. Pod, podcast, cast, pod, <laughs> podcast, cast. I was just trying to come up with it. I identify as really sorry about the past. <laughs> so next episode, we are kind of back to our two-story format. This was a fun little break. We are going to read some more Star Wars. We're specifically going to revisit the character of Dr. Afra. The The story is called Dr. Afra and the Enormous Prophet. So it's issues 9 through 13 of Dr. Afra volume 2. And then we are also going to follow that up with a random story that I happened to come across while I was scrolling through Mastodon because Twitter is awful. Uh, apparently there was an Eisner-nominated miniseries in 2011 that was written by G. Willow Wilson and illustrated by David Lopez called Mystic. I'd never heard of this before. I saw a couple of pages on Mastodon because Lopez was feeling nostalgic and he found him and he mentioned that it had been nominated for an Eisner. And I was just curious to see if it was on the app and it is. So we're going to read it. 2011, four issues of Mystic, which is a reimagined cross-gen title and I'm not even 100% sure that I know what that means. I heard G. Willow Wilson and and I follow. Also, for clarification, if you're looking this up, it's Dr. Afra and the Enormous Profit, as in money, as in earnings. This isn't about like a really big Moses or anything, so don't don't go down that road. No kaiju biblical figures? Okay. Yeah, there's no kaiju Noah, but that, oh, I would watch that movie. I would be <laughs> a lot more interested in the Bible if there were more kaijus in it. Yeah, I think a lot of that got trimmed by monks in the uh, Middle Ages, you know, so it's a real bummer. Uh, there, there are giants in the Bible. There are Leviathan. There's... You know what also has giants? One Piece. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm super torn about the One Piece 
live action trailer that just dropped. And by super torn, I mean I'm pretty down on it. I'm trying to stay optimistic on it, but I have I have I have concerns. Yeah, I watched Gantz. Wait, hold on. What's his name? Uh, Giguk, but his <laughs> like meat space name. He has a he has a separate channel. He's got Giguk, which is where he does this more scripted content, and then he has a streaming channel. And I watched him on his streaming channel do his kind of live reaction to the One Piece trailer. And he's surprisingly optimistic about it, which honestly surprises me. Garnt. Gantz is another anime. His name is Garnt. Oh, I thought you were talking... I thought thought you were circling back to the fact that you saw... Or to the idea that you saw Gantz, which I was a little taken aback. Because I was like, that doesn't seem up your alley, but okay. No. Anyway, Garnt reacted to the trailer, and he was pretty optimistic about it. He thought the cast looks really good, the costuming looks really good. I'm mostly concerned... The special effects look bad, and I don't think anybody's questioning that. I'm mostly concerned because it seems like they've rewritten Luffy to be more of a, like, Michael Sarah type character. And that strikes me as bad. But I'm basing that judgment off of one quip from the trailer. Yeah, I am also... I think for me, my biggest concern with it is honestly... Netflix's ability to cross the finish line. Yeah, I was just going to say, I have no dog in this fight, but as soon as I saw Netflix on there, I was like, oh boy, if it's good, it will be good briefly. I know I know the original director or writer, creator, every all the above artist, Um, he's been pretty involved with the production as a whole, which I don't know how he's managed to do that. Also putting One Piece out with hardly any breaks taking his first break. He's taking like a month break for like the first time in years. He's got to have a lot of production assistance. He does, I'm sure. But yeah, he's been pretty involved with the, with the process. I don't know how involved he's been with the script, but he, if he is involved with the script, I would try to, st- me personally, I'm trying to stay a little bit more optimistic because there is a definite shift, at least from the trailer, from like the two, three lines that we get of Luffy on what his character is like from manga. There's over a thousand episodes of this. It's John, it has going. been running since 1997. <laughs> and it is legitimately good. And don't watch the anime. And it is reaching the final arc. And the writer, director, creator, artist, <laughs> Oda, said that he is finally at the point where he can start writing the story he's been wanting to tell. <laughs> good gracious. Which a lot of people were like, oh, does that mean the first 1,000 and whatever issues were all just a prologue and we don't need to read it? And it's like, no, it's all good. He was just setting up for uh, 16 years. He didn't believe in multiple part stories because it is one piece. Oh, oh.